Hi, I'm Darren Wright. And I'm Tim Beadle. Welcome to Disciple Making. Welcome, friends, to another podcast centering on disciple-making, following Jesus' command and great commission to us to make disciples and make disciples. I'm Tim Beadle with my uh, cohort, uh, Darren Ride. And uh, last week, Darren, we jumped into uh, a book that you've been not only reading, but speaking to the author, Damien Burke, in the way church as we know it can be a discipling movement again. And uh, last week, we were uh, looking at a section that spoke about not what the church is, but who the church is. Uh, And we talked about some different church identity contrasts. And we're we're going to massage that a little more today. Uh, Do you want to give us a little review of our um, journey in this area so far? Yeah, certainly. We're actually focusing in on one aspect of the book, the section on contrasts which the, the five areas that we will be looking at over time is who the church is, what the church does, how the church is led and developed, how the church engages with people, how people engage with the church. And we focus in on who the church is. So that's a chapter, chapter five in the book. And there's five areas of contrast. And the contrast is between you know, legacy church, church as we know it. Uh, some people call it steeple church, you know, standard kind of church. Yeah. And, and what we see in disciple making movements. And, and so there's some tensions there, some contrast between those two things. We looked at three last time. We talked about organizational identity, which is the contrast is location versus people. Legacy church is about location. Disciple makes about people. We looked about the or- orientation to the world, where in a legacy church, we're calling people to come. In disciple making, we're actually going to them. Right. We looked at the organizational principle, uh, legacy church differentiation, you know, unique church, unique denomination, unique this. Whereas in disciple-making, it's about unity. Can we agree on the basics of the faith and multiply yeah. that out? And today we're looking at number four and five, which has to do with organizational structure and people's self-perception. I think there's going to be some interesting nuggets here, Tim. Yeah, for and sure. And to start out with, the, the differentiator on the organizational structure side is hierarchy versus network. That's right. So in a, in a, what, what the idea here is, the idea is that in a, in a legacy church model, and churches we know it, the structure is hierarchical, and in disciple-making movements, what we're seeing is that the structure is very much more of a network, which is distinct from a hierarchy. Uh, what's your understanding, first of all, those two general concepts? Well, uh, the Queen of England died a couple of weeks ago, and we're seeing uh, changes in the hierarchy. A new king, new titles handed out. Uh, there, there's a set structure there that, that's been in place for hundreds of years, and basically, it's, it's uh, authority flows to the top down. So mm. it's usually based on a single person. And uh, that person uh, has, you know, ultimate say, especially, in, uh, for, you know, in terms of the church realm, uh, the longer a pastor uh, is behind the pulpit, uh, they have more and more authority through the structure. Mm. Usually, they have to work through a board. But, but even uh, what I found is that the longer a pastor is in the pulpit, um, sometimes the board simply uh, placates and, and just allows the pastor really to, to do what he wants to become what, somewhat of a rubber stamp board because he has the authority. Uh, and, and in this part of the book, it, it's all about uh, where the sort of authority lies in terms of how things are done. Is it top mm. down or is it more parallel? 
Uh, that, that's sort of been my understanding of this. I, I think the network model uh, is more biblical just because when you look at the human body and we are, you know, Christ is the head of his body, the church, mm. it's made up of cells, cells that replicate. And while there, there is the ultimate authority, uh, only as the cells do their work, does the uh, body remain healthy. Yeah. You know, when I think of hierarchy versus network, you know, thinking relative strengths and weaknesses, pros and cons. I think the thing that's appealing about hierarchy, uh, you know, well, of course, if you're a control freak, you want to be in a hierarchy and you want to be at the top. This yeah. is that, but but really, there is an efficiency to hierarchy. You know, there, you know, from from a, if yeah. like, as far as this person says this and it happens, there's a certain level of efficiency. But when it comes to effectiveness in multiplying out yeah. a value system, or as we're talking disciples, I think the effectiveness throws flows much better through a network situation. Yeah, yeah I think um, in the hierarchy, uh, control is is central. The people at the top want to know what's going on down below the organizational chart, and they do that through a report mechanism. But um, mm. really, sometimes they aren't in touch with actually what's happening at, at the grassroots level. And I think I've mentioned in the past, you know, so in some denominational hierarchies, the uh, district superintendent would say, I'm coming to visit your church. He has uh, authority over that church to a certain degree. And so the church puts on their best show when he comes, you know, the best music, mm. the best this and that. But the real church condition isn't uh, when the district superintendent comes. It's probably the week after <laughs> when everyone <laughs> relaxes and we get back to normal. And then we see really what life is. So in terms of, as you say, you know, direction and things like that, especially in times of emergency, it, it's great to have a structure with hierarchy where where supplies mm. and support can be given. However, uh, in, in the day-to-day -day ministry, uh, the network seems to be more of a biblical model for sure. Yeah. Uh, the other thing about hierarchy versus network is I think there's a resilience in a network model that isn't in hierarchy. You know, in a, in a church, in, in a typical church, uh, especially some of the smaller or mid-sized churches that yeah. I've often worked with in transition, if you take the lead pastor out of the picture, the church is often completely hobbled. Yep. And and it becomes almost an emergency to get another lead pastor because okay. things don't work without a lead pastor. It requires this, whereas if there's a network where there's, you know, a diffusion of gifts and functions and, yep. you know, people being equipped, I've seen churches where they, they can go without a lead pastor for two years and they're fine because of the way they have learned to function. And, yeah. you know, even in legacy church where they actually do okay. Yeah. I think, um, you know, the biblical teaching of the priesthood of all believers, mm. uh, we all know that term, but how is it practiced? Unfortunately, in a hierarchy, um, there, there, there's more, more, and I use this term uh, uh, carefully, exploit, exploitation of people, to get them to help us accomplish our goals as a movement rather mm. than building ministry around people and their gifts. You know, Ephesians 2.10, every single person is God's masterpiece or handiwork, mm. you know, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he's actually planned in advance, not for a structure, but for the individual people and, and, and the network to do together type of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's easier, Tim, to understand and define what a hierarchy is and what it, how it works. We see it all the time, right? Yeah. I mean, even in this, what, what they call the New Apostolic Reformation, it's very hierarchical, you know, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, yeah, teacher, yeah, where yeah, they, yeah. they describe that Ephesians 4 as a hierarchy, which, which I don't agree with, by the way. But 
what does a network look like? And, and could a network even work in a legacy church situation? What would that actually look like in ministry? I, th I think the closest would be um, the, the whole small group, cell group, life group model, mm -hmm. because those are within the hierarchy. Uh, that's actually where people connect in a deeper level, especially in a larger church. You know, in a small rural church, everyone knows everyone, and they have done so for generations. So that's yes. not the problem. Uh, in fact, someone said, you know, uh, we don't have uh, small groups in our small rural church. We have something called the family supper dinner table. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but, it, but it just shows that there's this innate organic uh, family uh, networks uh, that grows naturally. Uh, but when you start getting into uh, larger churches, they rely on the strength of small group ministries. But unfortunately, I believe sometimes, many times, it's for the wrong reason. Uh, the reason that they want mm. to put people in small groups is so that they won't slip away from the church unannounced. Because it's easy to hide in a big church or a larger church. Mm. And also, uh, it's more of a social network rather than a missional network. And I think you know, we'll get, get into this uh, further into our discussion today. Hmm. But it's a way to keep people connected so that people can look after each other and they can become, you know, the, there's always the, the empty chair principle in the cell group to, hmm. to always be on the lookout for someone else that the Lord may lead your group. But uh, so there are some times when, when groups become closed where they're just doing their own thing. And uh, it does help the church in terms of when someone's in need, the group will look after that person. Uh, but it doesn't really address the, the whole disciple-making movement uh, mm. where we're actually trying to make disciples that make disciples. Right. You know, I, I think as you're saying that, Tim, it's to me, I think it's fairly clear, and people might want to disagree, that the, the form, hierarchy versus network, a network form structure really is a square peg in a round hole when it comes to yes. legacy church. That, yes. that the, the, the form has been built hierarchically, whereas in disciple-making movements, the reason there's a movement is because it's a network. Yeah. If, exactly. if it was hierarchical, there would be no network. Yeah. Uh, you know, or there if it was if it was hierarchical, there would be no movement, I mean. That's and right. it requires a network to do that. So I think, you know, this is a real sticking point when it comes to form and function that um if there is a disciple-making movement, hierarchy needs to be displaced. It doesn't mean there's no authority. I've struggled with this a bit. It doesn't mean there's no authority. There's no absolutes. We, uh, we understand that. But there's a much flatter structure yeah. and uh, much more about giving away and equipping than about controlling and trying to bring uniformity. Yeah, I've been working with churches for 30 years. And uh, what I've noticed is as, as churches develop their hierarchy and they, they add divisions or, or different layers of leadership, uh, the, the, the concern in my heart, and I've seen it time and time again, is that there's sort of like this middle management, middle management um, level of leadership in a church where all they're doing is maintaining the structure. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and they've mm -hmm. lost the, 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 the missional impetus of, of why the, the church was called by Jesus into existence in the first. And then they're quite satisfied just to like sit on the board and make decisions. Or to do you know this area, but 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 they are not multiplying uh, their life through other people coming to find Jesus or on their way to grow in Jesus, and that's another major weakness I think today. Uh, along yeah. with along with as you're saying, uh, 
uh, how do you change from becoming a legacy church strategy and structure to, to, to really like, do you have to just dismantle it and say, okay, we're going to start something else. And I know like the 12th church, that's just a diff- different model apart from the organized traditional church. Uh, but that, that's been a burden on my heart for years and years and years. Um, like uh, tw- tw- 20 uh, years ago, I was uh, going around the country uh, speaking about natural church development, uh, which was more of an organically um, qualitative research based on, on what are healthy churches. And churches took this survey with you know 20 or 30 people and they got the results back. And then they didn't know what to do with the results because hmm. it would it would really challenge them to have to change into what we're talking about today. That they would have to dismantle some of the hierarchical uh, authoritative structure and, and as it were, give, give the average saint in the pew uh, the authority to, to, to be all that God has called them to be. Hmm. I just came across a quote this morning, just not that many hours ago, Tim, that I'll throw it as a discussion point around this. And the quote was sure. that most churches are structured for stability, yeah. not mission. And I think that starts to get to the core of what we're talking about here, that, yeah. that we structure for stability, hierarchy, hierarchy can be stable. Yeah. Mission is always in flux and it's about new things and yeah. innovation and adapting. And it's in many ways the opposite, right? It, it's exactly. like the difference between management and innovation. And, yeah. and I think that's, you know, this is a, a key issue in, in a sticking point to change a church from a hierarchical structured for stability institution to a network structured for mission institution yeah. isn't the same thing anymore, right? It's oh, like something has to die and come does. to life there. Yeah, and unfortunately, it isn't dying and mm. didn't die in COVID. And I think I mentioned that last week in the podcast, uh, the, the church put so much of their energy into content mm. um, during COVID to keep their people watching or coming or uh, you know, staying part of the church because we didn't want to lose them rather than putting it into building community, uh, communal mm. and, and using the opportunities. Like there's a lot of rich people because of COVID those who mm. made masks and rapid antigen tests and they use the opportunity to actually morph into what was needed. That was a wonderful opportunity for the, the church that really uh, was sort of kicked out the comfort of our nest as it were mm. uh, to revisit uh, what our, what our, uh, mission is uh, before our methodology, and all we did was try to keep the methodology going uh, and and not lose people. So uh, mm. it's an interesting thing to talk about. Yeah, I think that changes again. It's going to be forced in a way. It's happening right now. We know that the change. We're we're going to make it after the fact. I think people are understanding that. Um, but let me let me share this fifth contrast because I think it fits very yeah, well yeah. here. It's part of the progression. And the fifth contrast has to do with people's self-perception. And that has to do yeah. with, in a legacy church, I'm an adherent or a member of this church. In disciple-making movement, I am a disciple-maker. That's right. That's a completely different mindset, isn't it, Tim? Versus I attend this place, I am connected to this place, that's my identity, versus I'm a disciple-maker. Talk, talk about the contrast there. Well, that's the problem, you know, sort of the, the hierarchy and the adherency are sort of two sides of the same coin. Mm. Uh, when you organize it, then you see, okay, how committed is this person uh, in terms of the church? And that, that's where the whole adherency came. 
Um, are they going to become a member, which means perhaps they're, 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 they're going to sign something or a covenant to say, hmm. I'm going to make this commitment to you and you do this. It's, it's almost more sort of transactional. I'll do this as a member. You do this as a leader. Uh, and then those who don't really want to sign up, they sort of just become adherents or people who are sort of on the rolls. Uh, but it's all about serving the system, mm. Uh, mm. you know, in terms of paying the budget and the bills. Whereas, man, when you have a disciple making movement and, and the mm. stress is on that word movement, um, it can morph and change because it's based on something beyond a human made structure. Mm. And it, it's based on the uh, command and commission of Jesus and also on, on the work of the Holy Spirit, who is drawing people towards Jesus at all times. Uh, I think I mentioned before, I've, I'm preaching in, in a week from now on John the Baptist. And, and uh, basically, his whole, his whole mission in life was to make straight the way for the Lord, or to prepare a path. And um, I, I think that's the difference. Hierarchies and adherents aren't committed to making a path. Uh, whereas disciple makers are, uh, it's like Andrew who brought people to Jesus or Paul who says, follow me as I follow Christ. There's just a different orientation. Uh, what, 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 what's your take on that, Darren? Yeah, well, ex that's exactly right. And I think it comes right back to the, almost the moment of salvation, what we're calling people to, yeah. you know, yeah. are we asking people simply to invite Jesus into their heart <laughs> or are we calling yeah. them to repent, believe and follow and join Jesus on mission. Like that really, it comes right right back to that. Because if I think again, looking at these five contrasts together, that there's this location that I come to that's unique and it's got this nice structure. I, I attend there. That's my identity. But as soon as I say I'm a disciple maker, yeah, that changes. I think in a way we want to be solution-based a bit here too, Tim. We don't want to just want to point yeah. out the problems. And I think this gets at the solution, which is we've got to go after people's identity yeah. And self-perception. What does it mean to be, quote, a Christian? And say, it's not about this label. It's about following Jesus. And part of following Jesus is joining him on mission. Yeah. And what that means, brass tacks, it means being a disciple maker. And accepting that and then beginning to live out the implications. I think if we start with that, these other yeah. contrasts or these other attention points will be broken. But it yeah. starts with people understanding, I am called to be a disciple maker. Even though I don't know all that it means, that's what I'm called to be and do. Yeah, and and that that very last thing you said there about be and do, a lot of people get um, transfixed on okay, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? What do I have to do? Mm. Uh, whereas um, being always precedes doing, and uh, even someone before they under, can understand that they're a disciple maker, in terms of their identity, they're just being created in the very image of God. Mm. You know, like like that. That's our primary. When God looks at us, He doesn't look at at, at the physical and then considers maybe where our spiritual barometer is at. He looks at the soul. He looks into our mm. heart. That's what the Bible says. Yeah. And, and he wants a friendship with us. Uh, that, that's when, you know, Jesus changes the, uh, the um, terminology. You know, he doesn't call people servants anymore. John 15 says, you know, I call you my friend because everything mm. the father, servants don't know about the father's business, but everything the father has entrusted to me, I trust it to you. I've revealed it to you. I've shared it huh. with you. And now I'm going to walk with you in this. So, so identity, most people, when they come in, or even leaders in the church, what can I get people to do in the church? Hmm. Uh, rather than making sure they have a very rich understanding of who you are in Christ, 
because as, as a disciple maker, we're going to say to you, uh, you know, for, for, as Paul says, uh, so from now on, we don't we don't even view people from a worldly point of view. That means hmm. there's been an identity shift in terms of how God sees them. So I think yeah. it's important when it comes to identity that we understand how God sees us, for, first mm-hmm. of all. And then we clothe that, well, what am I about uh, as a follower of Jesus? And then how do I take on the mind and, and, and look through the eyes of Jesus of the world and, and regard people from, from God's point of view, not a worldly point of view. And based on that, then uh, I, I, I'm in ministry with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Wow, beautiful picture, Dan. That is so well said, buddy. You know, the, the servant versus friend yeah. is almost like the hierarchy versus network, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Servant yeah. master is hierarchical. Friendship is network. And so I think that's maybe a good place to land yeah. in understanding some of the contrasts. Am I... Uh, do I see myself again? We know we serve Christ, but do I understand my identity as, as a you know a, a friend of Christ, a brother, a co-worker, joining yeah. him on mission, or am I you know just a, just a gear in this larger machine uh, that I you know that I kind of identify with, but don't have any larger creative role? To me, that's really where this is landing today. Yeah, and I think um, just just to sort of close it off with a nice bow on the top. Uh, you know, being a disciple means being a follower and we're disciples of Jesus. That means we are following Jesus and doing what he did. We don't mm-hmm. have to reinvent the wheel. Sometimes we have to interpret it to the culture in which we live. Uh, but Jesus, by his spirit, is already in the world, drawing people to himself. And, and we just come alongside people and clear a path for them to find Jesus and then walk with them on that path until yeah. they do and then treat, t- teach them to do the same. Amen. I mean, the path to being moving from an adherence yeah. to, you know, an attendee to a disciple maker, there's a jump there and it's maybe somewhat aspirational. I still feel it's aspirational even in my, yeah, in my life, yeah, it is. Um, it but is. I would just call people forward to that to say, that's, that's your identity. That's the call. And to fix your eyes on that and start to follow Jesus on mission and it'll happen. Yeah. The unfortunate, yeah the unfortunate thing right now, if you ask people to check a box, are you an adherent or a disciple maker? the vast, vast majority are not going to check off disciple maker because they've never experienced the thrill of Hmm. uh, coming alongside someone. I'm I'm meeting with a dear friend older than me. Every week we meet and we're just, he's relatively new in his faith, but he's growing by leaps and bounds. Hmm. And, And I don't think you're actually a disciple maker just by meeting someone. But when the person you're meeting with goes and does it with someone else, that's yeah. actually when you become a disciple maker because you've made yeah. someone who's doing the same thing. So I, I think that's a great uh, place to land the plane with a, with a word of encouragement and also challenge. Uh, I'm Tim Beetle with my friend Darren Ride, and we'll be back again with another uh, episode. And uh, we just invite you to pause along the way and, and consider the path that you're leaving for others to follow in terms of finding Jesus and the life of becoming a disciple maker. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us. For more information, go to imakedisciples.com or christfollowerdna.com. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts.